Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Welcome back to another episode of What is Eating You? And today we are talking about part two of our journey with Nikki Wishart, who has fully recovered from anorexia nervosa. She went from being overweight to being underweight and everything in between. And now she is a fully functioning woman living (laughs) her career dreams. And she's going to tell us in today's episode how she did it. So if you are someone who is stuck in food jail, in an eating disorder, disordered eating, yo-yo dieting, I really think this episode is going to help you. And at the end, we'll talk about specific resources. So welcome back, Nikki. Thank you. How are you doing? I'm so good. And I'm so excited to talk about um, this part of my journey, which I feel like, as we said in the first episode, not many people get through this part. Um So I'm really excited to have the platform to have a bit of a chat about it. Yes, and thank you so much for sharing because I think this is the hardest part for people is letting go of that eating disordered mindset. And I'll always say to people, there's going to be a part of you. There's a part of you that was developed through your upbringing, through social media, that wants to be skinny, that wants to say no, that, you know, feels guilty and that eating disorder part is what we really need to target because that part is rigid. It's not flexible. It's filled with self, you know, doubt, self-hatred, whatever it might be. And people hold on to that. And I think it's holding on to that, that prevents people from fully recovering. So I guess for you, how did your recovery start and what helped? Um, I think for me, I started recovery. I had actually gone to Sydney for a fitness event. My parents at the time lived in Sydney. Um, and I was fully immersed in the fitness world as a lot of people with eating disorders are. Um, I was helping out a friend who had a company and a stall at this event. And I think I looked around for the first time after wanting to be all these people mm-hmm. and seeing them in real life and going, wow, I am not them. I shouldn't be them. And I'm really unhealthy. Wow. I look way, way too skinny. <laughs> and I think that. Although for some people they might think that going to those sorts of events, or they could be for some people really triggering, for me it was a really eye-opening experience to see these people that I would look at on social media, see them in person and go, wow, you just look like a normal human. Wow, because how did they look on social media? You know, they ha- you think, oh, they've got the abs and they've got this, but it's posing and it's lighting and in real life they're just normal people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was that real tangible 
wow, I'm trying to achieve something that isn't achievable. And I came back from that trip. And on that trip as well, I obviously went to a different state. I had none of my normal foods. I couldn't find anything that I wanted to eat. And I had multiple panic attacks and breakdowns. And that's when I, in my mind, went, something isn't right. Mm. Not only am I having an awful time, but the people around me and my parents are trying to do everything they can to protect me. And I'm basically destroying their lives too. Wow. I felt really guilty and I also had moments on that trip where we would go out to dinner as a group and I finally felt, wow, everyone's everyone's just ordering what they want. This feels so freeing. This Mm -hmm. feels so amazing. And I came back from that trip and I went, I need to go into recovery. And my mum and I sat down and she went, okay, do you really want to do this? And I was like, I really want to do this. So I found a support team and I am incredibly lucky that I have an amazing health advocate in my mum. that she found some of the most amazing people because I was not in the mind state at that time to go find a psychologist and a dietitian and an entire team. And she went, I'm going to do this for you. I'm going to help you. Um, And I found an incredible team here in Melbourne uh, at a psychologist that I still see to this day because she was that person for me. You know, seeing a psychologist often, it's sort of like dating. Yeah, (laughs) you need to find the right one. You need to find the right one. And I was super lucky that I found the right one at the right time because I had been through experiences with psychologists previously. But I found one that was absolutely amazing. And, you know, I saw a dietitian and my mom fought for me to stay out of hospital. Yes. I was going to be put into the the Melbourne clinic here in Melbourne. Mm -hmm. Um, But my mom and my dad were like, no, she's going to do this at home. We believe that she's going to do this. Yeah. So they put up um, and put together structures and procedures for me in terms of blood tests and seeing GPs and keeping on track um, that you would do in a clinic like that. But they said, no, she's going to do this at home, which I am incredibly grateful for. Yes, because some people do get hospitalised, but hospitalisation isn't effective for everyone and you can actually learn behaviours or be encouraged. It's very competitive. Eating disorders are incredibly competitive and I think it's great you were able to do it from home because you didn't have those outside, I guess, comparisons of people with other eating disorders, which I think is you a don't, bonus. You don't learn habits, but I think I was so, so fortunate to have a family who all had different eating habits and I was living in a house of three or four other people mm. who had Different eating habits, but they were all normal and they're all healthy. They just so your family weren't eating disordery. No, my family have never made comments about food, and you know those triggering sort of comments that wow. people often say that parents yeah. make. It was a very personal thing and a, a thing I probably picked up from social media comparisons, those sorts of things. But to see them and they all ate different things and at different times, but. They lived their life and they had no restriction. I think that was really great for me to see because through recovery, I knew that my normal was going to be different to everyone else. Yes, yes. And I think what you've highlighted here is your environment is a massive predictor of success and you need a treatment team. If you're someone who's going through eating challenges, depending on where you're at, Treatment really looks at psychology, also nutrition or dietitian at some point in your journey, whether you need a psychiatrist, but you also need to program your external environment for success. So like Nikki said, she was going out for dinner with people who didn't have eating disorders. And this really resonates with me because on my journey, on my eating disorder, 
I hung out with people from Instagram who were food bloggers. <laughs> and when they're ordering waffles and pancakes and Nutella shakes, I was like, oh my gosh, act normal, act normal. So I was forced to act like I didn't have an eating disorder. And that really changed me because I ate the foods and I proved my beliefs wrong that I could eat Nutella pancakes and not turn into a whale or I could order what I really wanted to order and I didn't have to get all this stuff on the side. So I really resonate with surrounding yourself with non-dieting, eating disordered environments. And I think that leads on to, I guess, what I was going to say next, which is you talk about environments and through my eating disorder, I discovered food blogging and that's how we met. And I think that going out and just having brunch with people and people not caring about the things on the menu, it was about the fun. It was about the photography. It was about the enjoyment of food. Yes. Um, I really credit that point in my life and that brunch blogging to so much of my recovery Mm -hmm. because of the exposure it gave me in a different foods, um, the lack of control around what you were going to eat, the flexibility you needed to have to go to events and to hang out with people. And maybe there'd be food there and there'd be canapes and there's no portion sizes. And I think that that really pushed me. And I definitely had moments. I remember this one time we went out all the way into the countryside with everyone. I think it was Warren Dyke, but yeah. <laughs> no, it was um, not Warren Dyke. It was the, the chef had a, a new venue and there was farm animals and... Do you not remember this? Sure this is me? <laughs> yeah, this is the group. Oh, was that one of um, Shannon Bennett's yes, restaurants? Yes. yes, the piggery. Yes. The oh piggery. my God, they brought so much food. Yes. And I really wasn't feeling it that day and I had a bit of a breakdown. Oh, you did. Yes, yes, yes. But I pushed through and I think it's experiences like that where you acknowledge, hey, my eating disorder voice in my head's really going off today. Yes but I'm going to acknowledge it and I'm going to try my hardest to sort of expose myself to these foods. It's going to be really uncomfortable, but acknowledging and allowing yourself to sit in that uncomfortable state is often what pushes you forward. Um, so it's days like that. I'm like, wow, I did that. And even if I ate a little bit, I still ate something that scared me. Yes. Progress over perfection. And for anyone listening, when we used to do brunch bullying, so basically (laughs) you collaborate with cafes and they bring you food. This was next level. So this day there was five of us girls and they were bringing out burgers, chips, steaks, jam, croissants. We all got a loaf of bread to take home. Like this would have been the ultimate opportunity. Um, you know, if you binge eat or you struggle with food, like this was the ultimate challenge for Nikki. And one thing I really commend her on is actually putting herself in those uncomfortable situations because you have to, if you're trying to recover from dieting and eating disturbance, you have to push yourself to do the things that you're scared to do. But I'm curious to know, Nikki, how did you deal with your anxiety in those moments? Did you have strategies or techniques? I think that's when having your team really helps you. Mm -hmm. Um, because I, I built strategies and techniques, but then also understanding that if I did freak out on a day like that, that's okay. Um, you sit back and reflect on it. And I went to my psychologist and I went, we went out for brunch and I had this platter and all of these foods presented to me that I wasn't expecting. It's not what I had planned for, and I really freaked out. And my psychologist would always say to me, you've acknowledged it. Mm. That's a great step. 
Yeah. Even if you sat there and you've acknowledged, hey, this is my eating disorder voice in my head telling me what to do. You've acknowledged it's actually not you. And you go, okay, well, next time, what am I going to do? Am I going to go, hey, I'll just try a little bit of this and then I'll see how I feel. You don't have to fully plunge yourself into everything and be like, I'm going to tackle all my fear foods all at once. Mm -hmm. Um, I think for me, success came from trying little bits at a time and then going, hey, I didn't. I didn't die. I didn't die. (laughs) I didn't, you know, that fear you have in your mind of what's going to happen when you eat those foods. Yeah. And then I would go back to my treating team and tell them about the experience and we would unpack it and I'd start to realize I'm triggered about this food because of this. And if I try it and I do this, this is the strategies I've got to have. Mm -hmm. And it just became easier and easier the more I exposed myself to the foods. But I never would have had that chance if I wasn't brunch blocking. Yeah. I think I would have stayed at home and tried my recovery and then gone out into the world and be really scared. Yes. Um, Yes. So I'm incredibly grateful for that little group of people that that we used to brunch three times a day with. I know. And I think more in the moment is – what I was asking as well. So mm. in the moment when you freaked out, yes. how did you do it in the moment anxiety in front of other people? Like, did you have a secret strategy? Um, did you go outside? Did you breathe? Like, I think I went to the bathroom and just sort of composed myself a little bit. I think it's telling yourself that what you're going through. I remember I would tell myself, I'm like, what you're doing is incredibly hard. Mm. Um, Give yourself validating. Give yourself a little bit of a break. Yeah. You're here, you're out with people and you're going to try some food. Whatever happens, happens afterwards. Yeah. And it's probably not going to be what you fear is happening. Mm -hmm. Um, I think for me, it's just the normal sort of anxiety um, strategies and coping mechanisms that I had learned prior to even having an eating disorder around um, what can you control? What's your controllable and what's your uncontrollable? What are those yeah. factors in your life right now? And in this moment, what can you control and what can't you control? Um, and sure, they've presented you with all this food you weren't expecting, but at the end of the day, it's you know if puts like it's you were still gonna you were expecting to go out and eat. Yeah. Um, you made that decision. You wanted to go do that, um, and I think that. It's hard to explain because I'm like, far out, what did I do in the moment? But I think at that point, um, I just was compassionate with myself. And that's so hard to do when you have an eating disorder because you have multiple parts. And this is what I explain to clients. You've got the healthy adult part, which is, or the compassionate adult part, which is a part of you that comes to therapy that wants to get better. But then this eating disorder part is going to get triggered and it's really up to a healthy adult to talk to that part. And it sounds like that's what you you did. You yeah. acknowledged it, you validated it, you were self-compassionate and you chose to do what was hard. And what I say to people is what feels harder in the moment is usually the right decision to make. Yeah, usually if it's something that I had put on my plate and I was avoiding eating it, my healthy side of my brain or that healthy voice in my brain would go, well, if you're eating just sort of voices piping up right now, it's probably the right thing to do to eat. Yes. If it's really starting to talk, yeah, then it's probably the best thing the to best do. Thing. And the, the further you get into recovery, the more you can separate those two voices because at the start of recovery, it was all the blur and it was just like, mm-hmm. this is what I believe. Um, and when you talk about it out loud afterwards, you're like, it actually is a voice in your mind that is. is telling you to do things. and you start to recognize it the more you work on the mental element of an eating disorder because it's not just physical. And I think 
one of the hardest things for me was being dismissed out of physical recovery, but still having to go through all the psychological recovery. Yes. And that's a massive with, that is a massive aspect of anorexia because the first primary treatment is refeeding. It's not psychologically based. Yeah, no. And they just sort of manage and help you through that. And I think you're going through so many symptoms with refeeding. Often people get refeeding syndrome, but I remember I'd wake up in sweats and night. What's refeeding syndrome? It's basically when your body goes into, I don't know the technical terms, but you go into shock because you're refeeding yourself with energy. Mm. Um, It's very dangerous and it's life-threatening. And that's often why people with anorexia go into hospital because they get monitored for refeeding syndrome. Um, But all the symptoms of going through the first physical recovery is so mentally exhausting because there's night sweats, there's blood sugar drops and all these sorts of things that you feel awful. I felt like I had been hit by a bus most days. Wow. Um, Just because your body is not used to having that much food, it doesn't know how to process it, it doesn't know how to put it. The level, you can't regulate any sort of level. Gosh. Um, And then going through all that and then your brain being exhausted from all of that and then realizing that an eating disorder is a mental illness and Mm -hmm. if you don't fix your thoughts and your behaviors then the physical recovery is just going to resort back to yes you're going to go back to square one and i wanted to ask because a lot of people do struggle with binge eating and what's unique about your situation is you said you binge ate you purged which we don't always see in anorexia but it's important to highlight that there is a lot of trans diagnostic overlap and just because you don't fit one specific eating disorder it doesn't Mm -hmm. mean you don't have one. There's this whole other category yeah. of other specified feeding and eating disorders, also known as OSFED. Mm-hmm. But when you went out and you started doing exposure, yeah, because eating disorders can have a very rigid mindset. You're very black and white. You're yeah. all or nothing. Like I ate good today or I ate bad today. Mm-hmm. What kept you in check when say you had a bite of a burger to go, oh, I've stuffed up and might as well just binge and I'll just purge it out. How did you refrain from that? I look at that and I remember I'm a very, I'm a visual person, but like also remembering what I had been through and feelings. And I remember when I used to purge the swelling in my face and in my throat and all of these sorts of uncomfortable feelings. But this one particular night, I think it would have been in 2018 and I took a a lot of, lot of laxatives and I've never been in that much pain from something like that. Mm. And for the next three days that I couldn't move because I had just like, I had no water in my body. I had nothing in my body. And I remember whenever I would have a moment like that, I'm like, I don't ever want to feel like that again. Yes. It was like, now I have a, even a bit of a, a taste, so to say, or like a grasp on what life could be like where you are not in that state. I never want to live a day where I feel so terrible because of that. Yes. Um, so for me, it was definitely a thought or a, a reflection on even how far I had come from there. Mm, so using that thinking retrospectively in the moment of what it would look like if you went down that path, which I think a lot of people don't do, and we call this urge surfing. When you do surf the urge, you're actually able to reflect on how that's actually going to look like for you if you go down that path. And I recognize that in my entire life that I have an addictive personality to some extent. Mm. And that's why I haven't touched a lot of things like smoking or um, really even 
mm-hmm. alcohol, I minimally touch it now because I know that once I start something, I, I'm i obsessed with it. Mm-hmm. And I think that I knew that in those moments, if I start this now, this is not just going to be tonight. Yeah. For me, it's not just going to be tonight. Yeah. And I would just tell myself that. And it's extreme. Don't get me wrong. It's extremely hard to even recognize those thoughts in those moments. Um, but for me, I was so, so determined to never, ever be at that place again. Yeah. I remember the key words you said, I only want to do this once. once. I know people who've spent hundreds of thousands, so much money on recovery that it is so expensive if you go and do it again and again. It, recovery is so expensive to the point that, like, I look at it now and I go, well, I still see my psychologist every six weeks. I touch up, you know, just, That's hey, good. how are you going? And I've, I just talk about things, and she's my psychologist in life as well, not just for my eating disorder, but I go, hey, in COVID, where there was nothing in the supermarkets, I just made another plan. Love that. And we recognize, I still to this day talk to her and recognize actions that I'm doing that are really healthy and sort of praising myself for the fact that, hey, you could have really easily relapsed still yes. to this day. Yes. When you walked into that supermarket and everything that was your normal foods mm-hmm. are gone. Safe foods. A lot of people struggled during COVID eating disorders. I can imagine. Yeah escalated and one more question before we wrap up because this is one thing like you said a lot of my clients will Mm -hmm. restore their relationship with food they're eating regularly they're not Mm -hmm. purging anymore they're not binging but their weight changes and I like to say weight change instead of fat gain because whenever people see their weight change they're like fat gain but it's not always (laughs) fat but how did you deal with putting on weight I'm just going to say it putting on weight um, because a lot of people who want to recover from eating disorder what stops them is this perceived weight gain. And yeah. it's going to happen because you're finally giving your body what it needs. Your body needs to trust you. It doesn't know when you're going to starve mm-hmm. it again. So there is a high probability that your weight will change. Like for me, I gained 10 kilos in one year mm-hmm. when I started eating like a regular person mm-hmm. following a restrictive period. So mm-hmm. how did you deal with that? Um Two things. First, things that were in my control in terms of physical things. I knew that seeing the weight on the scale would trigger me. Mm-hmm. So I told my GP and I told everyone in my treatment team that I cannot know what I weighed. And I had not weighed myself um, or seen my weight for at least two years until the end, maybe the end of last year. Um, and I just refused. I was like, that's for me that I know that's a trigger. Yeah. I'm not going near that. My weight is not my worth and I don't want to know. Um, I think that it's also a mentality gaining. Yes. I may be gaining weight and obviously I, I got weighed every week at my GP. Mm-hmm. Um, and she would say, Oh, today's a good week. I'm like, Oh, don't tell me that. Yeah. What does that mean? <laughs> what does that? Well, we all know what that means in their minds, <laughs> but I, my mentality was like, but I'm feeling better. You know, I haven't got those eggs anymore. I haven't got this. I had to really focus in on what gaining weight would give me in my life. The benefits. The benefits of it. And for me, I am probably 40 to 50 kilos heavier than I was. Wow. And and you, you look so healthy. I mean, I don't know if I can say that, but you, you look like a woman who's thriving, like emotionally, mentally. You go to the gym, you have an active lifestyle. And I think that an important thing is, is 
just because you've had an eating disorder doesn't mean that you can't go to the gym and have goals. Yes. Um, your goals change. My goals just shifted from aesthetic goals to strength goals. Love and that. Lifting heavier and feeling really successful, but for other reasons. Yes. That weren't my weight. Um, and with that came me feeling stronger and healthier and, you know, gaining that weight for me became a good thing. Yeah. Apart from weight, what about how your clothes felt and how you yeah. looked in the mirror? Because a lot of people I work with are like, I feel disgusting, my clothes don't fit, I don't yeah. want to have to buy a new wardrobe. But I yeah. think we can turn that into a positive, like this is a new chance to be a new version of you. And But how did you deal with, I guess, the feeling of clothes or the mirror and your body changing shape? It was really hard for me. I had really, really severe body dysmorphia mm. because I had gone from overweight to really to really anorexic very quickly. My brain hadn't even grasped that yet. You're like, who am I? Let alone you lose your identity. Mm. Your identity becomes your eating disorder. Mm-hmm. So separating me from that and figuring out who I was also because I was so young. I was like, who am I without this? Um, and it was really hard for me, but... I tried to frame it in the way of, well, maybe I can find a new style or those jeans don't fit, that's okay, recognising that it's uncomfortable, um, but framing it in that good mindset of, well, I'm recovering, you know? Yes. Take it easy on yourself and clothes aren't always going to fit and that's okay. Yeah. Um, and I'm not saying that it's easy and that I used to hoard clothes that didn't fit me. Like mm-hmm. smaller sizes. Maybe one day I'll be able to fit that again. We all have that pair. But just <laughs> but just accepting that and going, you know what? I'm actually going to donate those clothes. They're my sick clothes. Yes. I am not going to be in them again because I'm not going to be sick again. I'm going to donate them to charity. I'm going to put them in an op shop. I do not need them in my closet. Or your life, yes. Because I'm not going back there. I love that. I love how you changed the narrative. Like that was the time I was really unwell. Not That was the time I was so skinny. And No, it was, I, those clothes fit me when I was sick. Yeah, and you yeah. weren't having a good time. No. Like, that wasn't a lifestyle. <laughs> and I think you have to constantly remind yourself each day, and this is what I say to people, there's always going to be times where you're activated. Your friends start talking about their new diet or you don't fit into your old pair of jeans. Mm-hmm. That is the moment your healthy adult self needs to say, nope, I'm enjoying this journey. This is who I am. I'm healthy. I have a balance and just keep yourself in check. Recognizing that your journey is not the same as all of your friends around you. And if they're making comments about diets and about salads being healthy and all of these sorts of things, that's not on you. Mm -hmm. That's their life. That's their mentality. And you don't have to absorb that. Um, and just recognizing that you've made this, this decision for yourself and no one else's, you know, you're not in control of anyone else's decisions. So just focus on you and what you're doing. Um, it really helps me, especially when we're surrounded by diet culture and TV and radio and everything yeah. telling us that skinny is better. <laughs> no, definitely not. And I think just reminding yourself, everyone, if you're listening to this, the question to take home is what would being skinny get me that I can't get now? Because we all have this belief, like, when I'm this weight, when I'm mm-hmm. this weight. Like, it's this magical button that's going to bring you everything you want in life. But it doesn't work that way. No. So thank you so much, Nikki. When we wrap up now, I just want to pass you the mic to tell the listeners 
What is perhaps a piece of advice or maybe three tips to someone who is struggling with their eating or thinks they may be on the cusp of an eating disorder? What would you want them to take away from today? Oh, man, the pressure. Um, No, I think one thing for me, uh, often eating disorders or disordered eating result in hiding and a mentality of um, lying and deceiving people. I think find someone that you trust and talk to them openly about what's going on. Because I think for me, having that person in my mum her supporting me through my entire journey, even when days were tough, is one of the things that got me through. Mm-hmm. I can tell her anything. I could come out of a dietitian's appointment and feel like they accused me of lying and I could just sit there and cry. Yeah. Um, yeah. And having that person to talk openly with, I know not everyone has that opportunity to have that person, um, but if you do, just let them know. And it can be really hard. And you don't have to say, oh, I have an eating disorder. you be like, I'm really struggling with Yes. Things at the moment. I don't feel like my life is giving me the joy that it needs to give me. Yeah. Um, I also think that just taking small steps, recovery is a really, really long journey. And it's not linear. And it is not always linear. I had good and bad days where I thought, this is the best thing ever. And then other days where I'm like, I just want to hide in a, yeah. <laughs> a cave. Um, it's long and it's a up and down sort of journey. Um, so take things step by step. And when you're facing things like fear foods, don't take any sort of, you know, panic or fear as failure. Yeah. Facing those foods can mean different things in so many different ways. So just taking those steps I think is really important. That's amazing. Thank you so much, Nikki, for sharing your story and your insights on today's episode. So where can people find you on social media? They can find me on Instagram uh, at Nikki underscore Wisher. Yep. Um, the same on TikTok, Twitter, all of those good things. You're on Twitter? I am on Twitter. I try to do Twitter. <laughs> I think I have eight followers. <laughs> but, yeah, nah, not on Twitter anymore. But that's great. So if you want to actually go check Nikki's TikTok, she does have some videos of uh, when she was at her mm. most, I guess, crucial point in her journey and where she is now. So feel free to check her out. She'll be happy to talk to anyone who has any um, yeah struggles or if you want to ask questions. But thank you so much. Have an amazing day. Thank you for having me. We'll speak to you soon. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.